Let's bow our heads this morning. We are going to pray again. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you, God. I'm praying that you would bless me, encourage me, that God, that you would think through my mental faculty, that you would think through my mind, God, to give me eloquence of speech, God, even bless and touch the mouth of the reader, God. We ask that you would touch the hearts of the listener, God, and the ears of the listener, illuminate them, God, so that no one's coming would be in vain. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come on with our Bibles in our hands or just looking at the screen. Would you just repeat after me? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple where we love by living our vision every day. We connect with our creator continually. We confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. Pastor Andre, feed me this word. Come on, if you believe you're going to be fed, go ahead and make some noise this morning. So grateful. Amen. It's always good to hear you. It's good for you to hear me, but it's also good for me to hear you. So I love it when you're making noise. So we are in a series called Newness. I didn't know we were in a series until I preached the first message, and then I preached the second one, and then I realized, oh, we're going we're gonna to stick with this for a little while. So let's just do a little recap. The first one was simply called New, but we broke it down into uh, basically acronyms, and, and let me run through these. Now embrace this word, not ever wavering, not ever worry, no one else worthy, no one else willing. But this is the key that we keyed on in order to embrace new with newness is that we would have no extra weight going from the idea of landsliding both weights and sins. And so then uh, last week we talked about birthing the new, and we talked about being in the birthing position and producing and pushing out that which is new, which results in newness. And so today we're going to be talking about necessary new. Somebody say necessary new. And I'll go ahead and give you the premise. The whole idea of uh, the premise of this is that not all new is necessary. So we, we want to embrace newness, but we want to make sure that we are embracing newness that is necessary because unnecessary new can be problematic yeah. and so so you you'll, you'll see that a, as we move forward so let's let's do a, a little uh build up and go back to our definition of new which is not existing before introduced discovered recently or now for the first time now we're going to add the definition of necessary required to be done, needed or essential. I'll stay there for just a second. Not all new is required to be done. Not all new is needed. And not all new is essential. All right, let's, let's give us some necessary synonyms. Necessary synonyms, here's a few of them. Required, mandatory, imperative, demanded, Called for, indispensable, vital, 
or of the essence. So the new that you are doing, is it required? Is it mandatory? Is it imperative? Is it demanded? Is it called for? Is it indispensable? Is it vital or is it of the essence? Now, I, I'm going to say something. I'm, I, I made up a phrase. I've never heard anybody say it. It's a phrase that I made up, and, and I'm, I'm going to have to put it up in just a second. But you ever heard the saying, you play too much? You ever heard the saying, you do too much? I got a saying, and would you put that up for me? You knew too much. Not knowing knowledge, but have you ever met someone who just does too much new too often? You, you, you ever met somebody that is already January and they on their fourth job? You, you, you knew too much. You ever met somebody who changed their phone number like they changed their underwear? I mean, every time I get in the phone, I have to figure out who's this calling me where well, I, I got a new phone, I got a new number. I mean, all the time? You got a new number all the time? You, you, you ever uh, get a friend request on Facebook from somebody who's already your friend? Some people, they knew too much. It's unnecessary new. They just kind of are doing, doing, doing just to do. So, yes, we want to embrace newness, but we want to have some wisdom to our newness. So we want to be doing the new that is necessary. Uh, let me get a little deeper. You ever met somebody who is on their fourth relationship by Valentine's Day? You're doing too much. You knew too much. So... Here's a, a way to explain it. Let me, let me bring up this, this point, and this, this will help us understand. Be wary of someone who is always into something new because it's usually a sign of instability. Unstable people, they jump and they do too much. They knew too much. Oh, I, 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 I got a new car. I got a new job. I got. Sometimes you just need to slow down. And for those of you who are in the dating scene, you have to understand that some of that stuff is a red flag because it shows they are unstable. Stable people don't move erratic like that. They move on purpose. They move with a plan. When you ask a person, so why'd you get a new phone? Well, I, I, I just didn't like it. Well, why'd you break your lease? Well, I didn't like the apartment. I understand that. But then three months later, you're breaking the lease again. Maybe it's not the apartment. Baby, maybe it's you. So I'm not talking to none of y'all because I know y'all not like that. But if you happen to date somebody who does all that, the key is they're unstable. And if you hook up with them, they're going to take you through instability. I hate to move. And since I hate to move, when I purchase something, unless I have to, there's not a whole lot of moving going on. Some people, because of the way their life was, they moved all the time. Basically, you're trying to outrun evictions. Maybe you should try paying your bills. Maybe you should try to have some stability. Now, now this is not everybody has issues, but, you know, some of us, we know we can do better. We're just newing too much. How about this? I, I'm in a new church. Again? I got a new pastor. Again? I understand you may be moving, but 
we want to embrace what's new, but let's do the necessary new. Let's not just be doing to do, because it's the end thing to do. It's the hot thing to do. If you can't afford to fly out of town on vacation, it's okay. Don't go. If you're going to have to have your light shut off to have a Bahama mama in Bahamas, you don't need to be in the Bahamas. Well, I want to do something new. I'm tired of Muncie, but if you can't afford to do something new, that new is unnecessary. I don't want to jump on y'all. Let me jump on me. I love suits, but I don't really need any more new suits. Right now, a new suit is unnecessary. So I have to tell myself when I see something, Andre, you don't need it. But it's new. But just because it's new doesn't mean it's needed. So first point, remember that. Don't be one of those people that you knew too much. Guess what? For almost 22 years, I didn't have the same boo for 22 years. I'm not changing. Now, 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 every now and then, Holly Berry keep bothering me. But I told her I ain't, I got who I want. I, I didn't already let her know. <laughs> Amen. All right. Let, 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 let's move on. We, we, we're going to get into a little scriptures before I get too far off left. We're going we're to talk a little bit about David. We'll give us some, some scriptures. We're going to move through some of these uh, points. So I, I'm going to bring up point number two that will help us. New sometimes needs to be tested and given a chance first. But if it doesn't fit, revert back to what you know. It's okay to try something new and realize that's not a good fit. It's nothing wrong that with backtracking and saying, no, this, this ain't it. So, so it's, it's good to try new, but sometimes new needs to be tested because it's unfamiliar. So I do want you, like we talked about last week, I want you to step into the unknown. I want you to step into uncertainty. But sometimes, let's face it, some things you step into, they just don't work. So then it's, it's, it's okay to revert back. You just don't want to be doing that all the time because that shows your instability. But every now and then, it, 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 it's okay. You, you, you tried a new relationship, and after a while you realize this joker ain't worth a dime. Don't, don't grin and bear it. Back out. Get out. Pull away. Y'all been, y'all been on four dates and he ain't paid for nothing yet? You don't mind, you don't mind contributing, but you, you asked me out. I didn't ask you out. And you mean we got to go Dutch, we got to split the bill. If it don't feel right, it's okay to back out. I ain't going to judge you. Sometimes you know if it's a red flag. And a, a lot of y'all, oh, I don't mean to get on this. I wanted to wait till relationships to February. But, but a lot of y'all, y'all see red flags, but y'all think y'all superwoman. Y'all think y'all can fix and change everything. Sometimes he's showing you who he is date one, date two, date three. And then you want me to counsel you on date 77. You should have backed out a long time ago. All right, that's, that, that's enough of that. Let's, let's get into the scripture. I don't, I don't want to step on nobody's toes this morning. First Samuel 17, 37. We're going to. 
We're going to drop right into the David and Goliath story. David and Goliath is 1 Samuel 17. That way you will always know that. You can impress people. You know exactly where David and Goliath is. It's 1 Samuel 17. We're going to jump in the middle of the story. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So we, we know David was pleading his case saying that I, I can do this. I can be the one. And Saul said, okay, and wasn't nobody else standing up. Let's look at the next verse, verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Verse 39. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. So he did what? Took it off. Saul said, wear my armor. And David was a shepherd boy. He didn't have no army, he, armor. He didn't have no shield. He didn't have no kingly things. And so he tried it. It was new to him. He tried it. But real quick he realized, I can't roll with this. So he took it off. Some of the new you done put on, you need to take it off. Because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit your assignment. It doesn't fit your purpose. It doesn't fit your vision. So there's nothing wrong with taking it off. It's nothing wrong with trying it out and realizing this ain't me. Take it off. Let, let, let's, let's get even, even more practical. Sometimes those of you who are in a, a, a season of buying and you go to a car lot and you need to buy a car and then you test drive a car and you really don't really like it, you try it. But the salesman is pressuring you, and then you leave signing a car you really don't like because you got pressure. Stop letting people pressure you into stuff that doesn't fit. Amen. The salesman's not going to have to pay for the car. You're going to have to pay for the car. So if you want heated seats and it don't have it, take it back. Don't let anybody pressure you into something. So, so David was under a lot of pressure, but finally he had, he had to say, no, no, this doesn't fit. Let's, let's read uh, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now, people have probably thought David is crazy. Here he has a sword, he has a shield, he has a helmet, and he say, I can't use this. Okay, use what you need. And here he go and get five rocks. But we know the end of the story. It was the first drive-by shooting in history. David knew exactly what he was doing. David was working with what was familiar with him. Here's the thing. If you are an expert at something, you sometimes have to stick with what you know. I'm going to move into 2022 and I'm going to try new, but there's some stuff that I know works and I'm going to do what I know works. I know prayer works, so I'm going to keep on praying. I know praise works, so I'm going to keep on praising. I know preaching works, so I'm going to keep on preaching. There's some stuff I'm not going to back away from. You can do what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we going to serve the Lord. Because serving the Lord, it just works. Works for me. 
You can pull slots at the casino if you want to. I'm not mad at you, but I know what works for me. You can go to the club if you want to. I'm not mad at you, but I know what works for me. You can smoke weed if you want to, but I'm not mad at you. I know what works for me. And as for me, I just need to get a prayer through. As for me, I just need to get a praise through. As for me, I just need to hear the Holy Ghost every now and then. I know what works for me. So I'm going to do some new stuff, but it's going to be necessary new. All right, that brings me up to point number three. And this is something you can take to the bank. Proven old is sometimes better than untested new. If you know something that works and you've worked it, proven old is sometimes better than untested new. And you have people who will always try to push you to do things their way. And we live in such a divided society that if you don't do it my way, it's wrong. Listen, you do it your way, but I know what works for me. Even, even as, uh, l- l- let's go back to, to suits. At, at some point, I start getting tailored suits. And I remember uh, getting around a German tailor, and she telling me what works for my body. And I understand you the tailor, but you not me. And so she was like, we need to take it in here. It's like, no, we're not taking it in there. That ain't what we're doing. I'm not going to be up here sucking my stomach in trying to preach. No, let some of that out. No, this is the style. I don't care what the style is. I'm the one that got to wear it. And since I'm paying you, I need you to do it the way I need it done because I know what works for me. All right. All right. Now now we're going to keep on moving. I'm, now we're going to get a, a little deeper. Somebody say go deeper, Pastor. So now we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Would you, would you just uh, show them the Ark of the Covenant? We're going to take a, a little time, and it, it'll make sense. So it'll, it'll seem like I'm getting off topic, but it, it, it'll still make sense. But we got to give just, just a little background. So let's go to Exodus 25 and 10. And, and Sister Mitchell, I'm pretty much just going to have you read all these verses down to verse 15. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubic and a half wide, and a cubic and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side, and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. They are not to be removed. So if you know anything about the Bible, there comes a certain point around Exodus after they they get out of uh, um, Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and they come into the wilderness. God begins to tell them to make him a tabernacle. Very interesting things, but also, if you don't know what's going on spiritually, it also can be very boring. So normally people don't teach about it, but the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God directly lived. Now, in our time, he lives in, his presence can live in our heart. But there, it actually dwelled among them, and he chose a place to dwell, and he called it the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a certain way that it was supposed to be laid out. 
and it was down to the T. So I'm going to give you the first picture to show you what it would have looked like. It would have been very similar to this. These are the angels uh, that were uh, above what they called the mercy seat. So that very top part, it, all that was solid gold from the angels that are touching each other to that top part. But that was like a lid on a chest that could actually move. And they would open it up and they put some things inside of there. But they said that God dwelled between the mercy seat. He dwelled basically in the box. It's very interesting. People say you can't put God in the box, but God loved his people so much he actually put himself in the box just so he could be with his people. But well, I want to go back to the picture just for a second. Those uh, poles there, they are made out of wood, and they said they're made out of wood. Everything else was gold, but specifically those poles were made out of wood, and then there were these gold rings that they slid the poles into, and then they said overlay the wood with gold. So let's go to the next picture. This shows you what it would have looked like once it got finished and it was overlaid with gold. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. When you read the Ark of the Covenant, Picture that in your mind when you're reading. That's what it looked like. But they told, God told them exactly how it was supposed to be. All right, let's, let's put this up. David in the ark. So there comes a time where the Philistines actually had taken the ark of the covenant. And David said, we need to go and get the ark back. Uh, so, some things happened under the old regime and... The Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't even want it because the presence of God wasn't good to them. They was having all kinds of trouble. Their gods was falling down and their neck was breaking. All kinds of stuff was going on. So the Philistines were basically like, y'all come get this thing. We don't, we don't want it. We stole it from y'all, but y'all can have it back. So David was happy and he was going to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant. Let's look at 2 Samuel 6 and 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. 30,000 men, all the able young men. Now, now uh, I didn't say this, but let me uh, remind you. I'm going to go back to the whole idea of those wood poles. That's important, but I'm going to pick that back up later. So we're just going to move on. So David got 30,000 men. He was, he was going to get the Ark of the Covenant back. He was excited about it. Uh, let's look at uh, verse 2. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Between the cherubim. Those are those angels that are touching. He lived, his presence lived right there. Powerful, the presence of God. Let's go to verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Hold on, what kind of cart? New cart. What kind of cart? New cart. Okay. And brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. They were guiding the new cart. But my question is, why do they have a new cart? What was wrong with the way things were done before. Let's continue to read. Let's look at verse 4. With the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. So basically, they've already picked the ark up, and now they're trying to return. Let's look at verse 6, dropping down to verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, 
Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Oh, so not only was it a new cart, but it was a new cart that was driven by actually the oxen. So an ox stumbles at the threshing floor and the ark begins to jostle. And so the human, being human, he reaches out to steady the ark. Now, because the top piece was like the lid, what happens is that lid slid, and all he was trying to do was stop it from falling. It seems like an honest thing to do. Let's look at verse 7. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. First thing, when you read this, I'm so glad we don't live in the Old Testament times, number one. But number two, that just seems so cruel that it seemed like all he was trying to do was steady the ark. And the scripture says that God struck him down dead. Did I read this correctly? This doesn't seem, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I know God is good all the time, but this, this don't seem right. And so let, let's read. We're not the only people that think that. Let's look at verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? David was afraid of God. He, he, he didn't understand it either. Let's look at verse 10. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the, J- the Jittite. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll explain what happens later. I don't have time to read it all. But what happened was the, the idea, the city of David became Jerusalem. So he was going to get the ark and bring it back to the city where he dwelled. But once this happened, he said, man, I, I'm afraid. He left it there, happened to be in front of Obed-Edom's house. Several months later, everything in Obed-Edom's house was blessed. Everything. So David was like, the ark wasn't the problem. In other words, God wasn't the problem. Something else was wrong, and so they decided to go back and pick it up. Now we're going to, uh, before I I give you the point, let me explain something that happened that you may not realize. So first of all, there's two things that I need to talk about. Number one, I need to talk about what we see in oral tradition. The Bible, especially, actually all of the Bible, especially ancient antiquity, ancient writings were, were not written the way we write them. They were first oral tradition. They were passed down orally. In other words, I tell the story to uh, of Fanny, and then she copies it, and she tells it to the next person. But it's not like us. Remember in, 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 in uh, times when you were young, we played telephone, where you would say one thing to one person. By the time it got around the room, it was totally different. That's not the way things were back then because they didn't have writings the way we have writings. So they painstakingly took detail to make sure when I tell you something, this is exactly what happened. So when we see the Bible says that God struck him down, that was their retelling of the story because that's all they understood. But let me give you something in today's understanding to let you know that God didn't really kill him. It was the fact that they put the ark on a new cart, but the new cart was unnecessary. So basically what happened was when the thing stumbled and the lid shifted and he reached out to touch it, basically what happened is he got electrocuted. 
because God's presence was in there so powerful. God is stronger than electricity. But what new people understand in the 21st century, they understand one of the greatest conductors of electricity is gold. So God's presence was in that gold box, but it was full of his power. And it was radiating out, and God didn't want anybody to touch it because his power was so strong. You see, he didn't have his son to die for people, so God couldn't back things out. It was a fallen world. There was no atonement for sin. So basically what happened when he reached out, God didn't kill him. He got electrocuted. But what he told him, though, he said, I, what I want you to do, I want you to put some wood poles in there. And I want you to overlay the wood with gold. What we understand now, what electricians understand now is whenever you have strong power, you also have to have a ground. You have a positive and you have a negative. So God says, I'm going to have this box full of gold, but I want you to put uh, wood poles in there. And they were told they're supposed to carry those things on the shoulder. Nowhere did it say put it on a new cart. Because God knew his power was too strong. If something happened, somebody was going to get hurt. So there's a prescribed way I want you to do it. But they decided to do it a new way. Sometimes the new you do is unnecessary. But had they put it on the wood poles, the wood would have acted like a ground between them and the ground. If they carried it right, if it would have stumbled, nothing would have ever happened. Now, this is not the first time that the ark was moved around. This was in David's time, but the ark first came in Moses' time. We're talking about at least a thousand or so years later, and nobody else had ever had trouble because they did it the prescribed way. But they got excited and they did it a new way. But it was an unnecessary new. Let's bring up point number four. This will help us bring the point home. New that opposes God's will is unnecessary, foolish, and detrimental. Everything new is not needed. So when God has given you a prescribed way to do it, He understands better than you do, so do it his way. Well, I got a new way to do it. I got a new age understanding. I'm going to burn sage to get demons out. Listen, do it God's way. While you burning sage, you might be inviting more demons in. Stop doing it a new way and do it God's way because God understands. Now, why didn't God just tell them, Carry it on the poles because you'll basically get electrocuted. They didn't know nothing about electricity. They didn't know nothing about grounding. There was nobody who had figured it out. If God would have told them, they never would have understood. Their minds wouldn't have comprehended it. So he couldn't tell them everything. So he just said, do it this way. Back in the day, I would tell my my two young sons, if you run out in the street, I'm going to spank you. That seems cruel. But they was too young to understand if you run out of the street, you might die. So first, I just put the fear of daddy in them because I couldn't explain to them because their mind never would have understood. So I said, if you do it, I'm going to spank you. The older they got, I began to explain to them, first, look both ways. See, back then, God had his law, but he couldn't explain everything because it wouldn't have made sense. Let let me give you a little more detail. This will really, really help you. 
if I, I, I've seen this happen. I've seen my, my daughter sometimes bothering my wife when she's going through her, her cycle. And, and she'll say, uh, uh, Bob, I, 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 don't, I don't feel good. Just, you know, just give me a minute. And, she, you know, Bob will keep coming back. And she's like, look, I don't feel good. Why don't she just tell her what's going on? If she told my daughter I've been bleeding for the last four or five days, it would she go crazy. So she can't explain all that because that small mind is not mature enough to understand. So she has to say, just, just leave me alone. Give me, some, give me some time. And God in the Old Testament had to just say things. Just do it this way. I can't explain what. Just do it this way because I know best. And so he told them, this is the way to do it. But they did it a new way. I don't know why sex before marriage is not supposed to be a good thing. I was taught if it feels good, do it. But since God knows better than we do, I try to do it his way. I, I don't know why bringing money to the house of God is a way to get me blessed. It don't really make sense that you give away to get more. But since God said it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it an unnecessary new way. I'm going to do it his way because he's the creator of the universe. He's the one that put breath in my body. If anybody knows, God knows. So let me do it his way because his way will always be the best way. He sees the big picture when I can only see the small picture. So how about I do it his way? So while you're embracing new, don't do new that is unnecessary. Do new that you know God wants you to do. Now let's, let, let's look at 1 Chronicles 15, 14. After David figured out, okay, it, it wasn't God, he went to go get the ark back and let's see how they did it. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 15. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders, as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Oh, so that goes back to what we were telling you. Moses had already said it. David is several thousand years after Moses, or at least a thousand years after Moses, but he did it a new way. So then when he wanted to go get it back, he said, we're not going to do nothing new. We're going to go back to what we know works. And they consecrated themselves and they brought the ark back. Now, you, 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 you probably heard people say that when the spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. And how David danced out of his clothes. It was actually when they were bringing the ark back home that David had the Holy Spirit touch him and he began to dance out of his outer clothes because he had actually done it the right way. I need to talk to us church folk. There's some stuff we need to go back to and do it the way it used to be done so we can get the results that we need to get. If you can't feel God, if you haven't heard God, you need to retrace your steps and go back to something you left and what you lost. Pick it up, do it the right way, and watch God bless you. I'm notorious for not knowing where my wallet is sometimes. 
And so oftentimes, once I realize I need to find it, I have to retrace my steps. I have to figure out where was I, what did I do, where was I, how did I do, and then many times I can figure out where it possibly might be if I backtrack. Yes, I want you to move forward, but some of y'all need to backtrack and figure out where did I lose this? When did I lose the anointing? When, when did I get so bitter? When did I get so angry? When did I stop loving folk? When did I stop cussing so much? When, when did I get addicted and back up and find out, God, I need your help because I need to move in the right direction. But God, if you give me another chance, God, if you give me a second chance, God, if you give me a light of day again, I'll do it right this time. I, I'll make it up this time. I won't act in 2022 how I acted in 2019. God, give me another chance. I'll do it your way, and God, I'll give you praise for it. So, yes, we want the new, but we want the necessary new, the essential new. The commanded new. The prescribed new. We want to do it your way, God. It's your way, not my way. All right. So we, we've talked out of the Old Testament, and we basically gave you two uh, reasons and ways in which the new that was done wasn't necessary. So first, getting the new armor for Saul wasn't necessary and needed for David. And second, the way they tried to handle the ark in a new way on a new cart, it wasn't needed. But in that case, it actually caused the life of someone. And so we, we see that. Now let's talk about new that actually is necessary. And in order to do that, let's go to the New Testament. The New Testament is vitally important in the idea of our Christianity because the New Testament, it doesn't erase the Old Testament, but it brings the newness of what God was doing. It brings the story all the way around so we understand. So uh, one thing I want you to understand is that the New Testament was specifically written with you in mind, especially when you get to the epistles. Because at that time, they actually were Christians. In the Old Testament, there was no Christians. Christ had not died. But the New Testament was written with us in mind because the church age had come. They were Christians. There were people that actually believed in the resurrection of Jesus. There were people who never met Jesus like us that believed in them. So the New Testament is very foundational. We look at the Old Testament to learn from, but we live from the New Testament because the New Testament is the new covenant ratified in the blood of the Lamb. You ever heard somebody say the last will and testament? And the only way you get the will and testament is the person who executed the will has to die. Well, 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 there was a man who died on the cross and shed his blood. And early one Sunday morning, he raised from the ground. And everything that he has in his promises, they belong to me because they were based off of a new covenant but ratified and signed with his own blood. Let's, let's, let's go to point number five. And I, I wish I could spend a lot of time on this, but I'm, I'm not. But I'm just going to give us one new that is necessary. There is one new that is 100% guaranteed to work for you every time. I don't know all the new you're going to face in this new year. But there's one new that I can guarantee you will work 100% of the time, every time, all the time, 
And as we leave, I'm going to leave you with it so that you can use it because it's one new that is always necessary. Let's look at Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's go to verse 2. This is very familiar, but I'm reading it not from the King James. This is going from the New International Version. Would you read? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the what? Renewing of your mind. By the what? Renewing. Okay, read. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mm. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me cut to the chase. The 100% thing that is new, that is necessary and needed and essential that will work for you every time is having a new mind. Renewing your mind. And I like how it says renewing, which means it's not a process that ever really gets done. It's a continual process that you always need, but it always works. There are two clarion commanded calls for us. Number one is get born again. In other words, accept Jesus. But we've already done that. The second call is now that you've accepted Jesus, you need to keep your mind new. You need to keep your mind renewed. And here's the thing. Your mind is like your car. It's like your body. It's like your clothes. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get messy. But all you got to do is wash it again. All, your, your body, I don't care how cute you are. And some of y'all are real cute. Some of y'all are real fine. But two, three days outside the shower you still going to stink because you live in a regular body and it needs to be washed and it needs to be deodorized and it needs to be clean. I don't care how rich you are, rich folk need to wash. Poor folk need to wash. Folk with master's degrees need to wash. People that don't have a, a degree at all need to wash because your body will get dirty. Life is not made for you to stay on the same level all the time. But what you do is you just take a dip. You wash. You clean. But let me tell you something. I don't care how dirty your body's been. I don't care how musty you smell. It's not worse than your dirty mind. Because nothing can get more dirty than that nasty thinking that happens between these two ears. And you need to renew your mind. You need your mind washed. You need your mind clean. You need your mind to take another dip. Your mind needs to be baptized. And guess what? Your mind's going to need to be washed after you leave here today. Because it don't take nothing to get your mind into something that's wrong. It don't even have to be wrong. It can just be unfruitful. Our minds are made up of a whole bunch of stuff. We have a lot of faults. And many times the things that we think, they have a way of affecting our mind. So the one thing that is always needed is for us to continually renew our mind. Just to be entertained in this world's age will cost you your mind. Looking at social media is going to affect your mind. 
Watching Netflix is going to affect your mind. Just watching sports is going to affect your mind. Listen, I, I, I preached and had a good day and went home and watched the Colts and was mad for the rest of the night. Them jokers messing up, that messed up my mind. I, I was happy when I left here, turned on the game and was mad because I'm so emotionally invested. And there's something wrong with your mind. So you got you to gotta, you gotta wash that mind. That mind needs to be cleaned. It needs to be renewed. But when we make our mind new, the scripture says it brings to us transformation. There's transformative power if you take the necessary things needed to work on your mind. And here's something I need you to understand. I can't work on your mind for you. And you can't work on my mind for me. It's an individual, personal job. And the problem with a lot of us is we dress up a lot of stuff, but we don't do nothing with our mind. Especially in church circles. We don't like to talk about mental health. Pray for everything. You need prayer and medicine and counseling and therapy and to go somewhere and sit somewhere on the sideline and stop doing everything and get your mind together. Because when your mind gets together, your life starts getting together. And sometimes the reason why you're in the same relationships is not you, it's your mind. Your mind tells you you don't deserve better. Your mind tells you you don't need better. Your mind tells you to dismiss the red flags. But if you start renewing your mind, it will transform your life. I'm going to make my mind new. The Bible says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is worthy, think on these things. You can't think all day about Portia. Who's Portia? I don't know, but I know she's one of them real housewives. You don't have a man, and you watch a real housewife that's fighting and fussing. It's okay to be entertained, but at some point, you got to get that out of your mind. You got to stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and you got to work on your mind. I can't live my life through other people. I can't live my life through what somebody said on social media. I got to answer to God for myself and I need my mind to be made new. And that's why you come to church, not just to see your friend, not just to see what suit I have on, not just to stick your hand in the air, but to get some material that will renew your mind. It's like tied with bleach. It'll wash the stains away. What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus on my mind. Because if I don't get my mind right, I'm going to lose it. And we see a lot of people snapping all the time. You can snap in traffic. You can snap at the mall. You can snap at McDonald's when you told them, I don't want no ketchup on my cheeseburger. And they give you five cheeseburgers full of ketchup. Your mind might snap if you don't make it new because there's so much pressure we're under. We're under age full of pressure. But if I keep making my mind new, how do I make my mind new? You renew your mind through the word of God. You renew your mind through time spent with the word of God. See, back in the day, they had to deal with an ark to carry it around. We don't have to deal with an ark. We have the presence of God living down on the inside of us. And at 1.30 in the morning, I can talk to God. I don't need a priest. I don't need a call line. I don't need a 1-800 number. But I got 
I got access to God 24-7. And with me and God, we're going to get this mind fixed up. We're going to get this mind where it needs to be. I'm getting the cobwebs out of my mind. I'm getting the junk out of my mind so I can move into the newness that God has for me. All right, let's put up point number six. Renewing the mind is the most necessary new for any believer. It always works. And it's always needed. It always works. And it's always needed. You mean the Pope got to renew his mind? Yeah, he sure do. I don't care who you are. Because we are human. We are we struggle with our flesh and our soul. And we need our minds together. And so we need it. But it always works. That's why some people say, I, when I do get to church, I feel better. Because what's happening is your mind is being made new again. It's being regenerated again. See, when you say yes to God, he automatically regenerates your spirit. But that has nothing to do with the soul, which is where your mind is. The soul needs constant regeneration. That's why the first part of our vision statement is we connect with our creator continually. Not because we're so great, it's because we need him continually. I need him every day, I need him every hour, I need him every moment, I need him every minute, I need him every second. I can't do this thing without God. I can't live this life without God. God, sit on my mind. God, help me with my thoughts, God. God, touch my heart, God. God, help me to see right, help me to think right, help me to believe right. I can't do it without you, God. I need you, God. And anything that helps renew my mind is necessary and it's needed. Let's, let, let's put this up. Romans 12, 2 in the New Living Translation. Would you, would you bring that up for the, her to read? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will know what God's will is for you. A lot of people want to know God's will for everybody else. Ooh, pastor, I enjoyed the message. My spouse needed it, but was your spouse here? No, you was here. How about you take it for you? Yeah. How about you use it for you? But God will transform us into a new person. Somebody said, oh, it's a new year, a new me. Not with the same old mind, it's not. Amen. Your old mind will bring you into a whole bunch of stuff. Let, let, let me just be, as I close, this is the last verse. As I close, let me just be real practical. The way our life works, we have what, what uh, actually what therapists call triggers. And there are certain things that trigger us. And I don't care how good you've been doing in your mind, certain things can trigger you and take you all the way back. I remember being in, uh, in Elder Birmingham several years ago, passing by an Estee Lauder counter and smelled a perfume from a girl I used to like way back in high school. And all of a sudden, the feelings that I had all came real quick. Have you ever smelled an aroma that can take you a place? All of a sudden, that's the way our mind is made. It's made to be triggered. And when you get triggered and things trigger you and things push you and pull you, you have to be very careful because your mind will get you in some stuff. I forgive Tommy. 
I like Tommy, but one day I think about something Tommy did and I can get mad at him all over again. We done buried the hatchet. We done moved forward. But if I don't work on my mind, something can trigger me and I can smile in his face but really want to stab him in the back and be going to the same church as him because something's wrong with my mind. Woo! I, I'm, try, I'm not trying to teach you because I'm trying to close, but that's what's something wrong with some of y'all relationship. You got who you want, but you keep thinking about somebody else. And if you keep thinking long enough, you're going to find yourself pulling out of something that you want and need and getting into something you don't need because your mind. My mind's telling me no, but my body. It keeps telling me yes. And eventually, my mind will start listening to my body if I don't renew my mind. And so I need my mind to keep telling me no. I need my mind to stop me from some stuff. I need my mind to catch my tongue. I need my mind to catch my feet. I need my mind to do what needs to be done. So God, help me renew my mind. Every day, you need a new mind. That's why God says his mercies are new every morning. Because you need a new mind. So that's what we're going to do. We, we, we're not going to do unnecessary new. We're going to do the necessary new. And the most necessary thing we can do is keep that mind new. Yes. Practically, let's say it again. Coming to church helps. Reading your Bible helps. Praying helps. Talking to other people about the things of God helps. It's not that you can't do other stuff. It's not that you can't watch other things. Just know that it comes with something. Whenever I wash my car and get on the road, I know it's a possibility my, my car is going to collect dust. And I don't wash it every day, but it, it needs to be washed at some point. You go months and months and months, and some of y'all minds are like the cars that say, wash me, where somebody writ, written in the dust. Wash me. And some of y'all, y'all dressed up, y'all look cute, you got your Louis Vuitton purse on, but in your mind, you so dusty, you so backwards, you so stuck in your ways, and I'm asking you to renew your mind. The Bible says, so you can prove what is that perfect, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. All right, as we close, let's put up this definition, and this will help us renew Put up this definition. Renew means resume an activity after an interruption. Reestablish a relationship. Give fresh life or strength to revive. Let me touch on these real quick. To resume an activity after interruption, whenever you get interrupted spiritually, renewing helps you pick up where you left off. Reestablish a relationship. Sin, because of Christ, sin, we don't have the same penalty, but sin sometimes separates us from God. And many times we need to renew the relationship we had with God. So when I renew my mind, it brings me back in right relationship with my God. Because here's the thing, he never left me, I'm the one that left him, and he's standing waiting on me to come back. And when I renew my mind, it brings me back in relationship with my God. And then it gives fresh life or strength to. So when you renew your mind, it gives you fresh life and strength to. There's been times that I've worried, I've complained, I've been bothered, I've been depressed, I've been anxious. But when I started renewing my mind, the very thing I worried about, I realized I can handle this. Me and God, we can do this. So you need your mind renewed because it gives you new confidence in what needs to be done. And finally, it means to revive. 
Maybe the revival that the church has been praying for is not a sweeping revival where we have a whole bunch of conferences. Maybe it's just the church folks start renewing their mind. And when your mind gets right, it will revive your life. I want to think right because I want to live right. I want to think right because I want to be right. I want to think right because I want to act right. And if I can ever work on this mind, it's the most necessary thing I can do. If I can work on this mind, I can be what God wants me to be. And I'm going to see revival because I'm going to revive this mind. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So basically it means I can have the mind of Christ. I can trade in Andre's mind for the mind of Christ. Final thing, and we'll stand to our feet. This is point seven. We'll stand to our feet and we'll confess this like we did last week. The most necessary thing I can do in 2022 is make sure my mind stays new. Here we go. Repeat this after me. The most necessary thing I can do in 2022 is make sure my mind stays new. Let's do it again. The most necessary thing I can do in 2022 is make sure my mind stays new. How about you? Let, 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 let's, let's do it one final time, and at the end, let's point at somebody else. Don't touch your neighbor. We're still in COVID. Don't touch them. But just point at your neighbor, and we're going to ask them, how about you? Here we think. The most necessary thing I can do in 2022 is make sure my mind stays new. Now, point at somebody else. How about you? Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, we need to move into the newness of life. We need to move in and we need to embrace 2020 by the horns and take it and control it. But we have to do only the new that is necessary. Let us not be an unnecessary new. Let us not be doing new things that you didn't prescribe. But let us keep our mind new so that we can be the men and the women that you're calling for us to be. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. You are dismissed.